Thousands of years ago, there came a night that lasted a generation. Kings froze to death in their castles, same as the shepherds in their huts. And women smothered their babies rather than see them starve, and wept, and felt the tears freeze on their cheeks. So is this the sort of story that you like? In that darkness, the white walkers came for the first time. They swept through cities and kingdoms, riding their dead horses, hunting with their packs of pale spiders, big as hounds. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan. And this is Travis. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 45. This week, we have our friend Travis joining us. You guys may remember him as Obsidian Crow from our Still Smug Book Talk collaborations and from his, uh, his Obsidian Crow cosplay and leather working. And you definitely know about his dog, his wolf dog, Greywind. Welcome back, Crow. <laughs> Thanks for bringing <laughs> me aboard. I'm uh... so used to calling you Crow now. You can still call me that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, just uh, thanks for bringing me back on. Um, uh, I really liked the Still Smug, and I'm glad to be a part of the, uh, I, don't want, I don't know if you should call it the real podcast, but the, you know, the main episodes. <laughs> yeah. The main podcast, yeah. <laughs> the main podcast, yeah. So in this episode, this is our third episode of our series rewatch for Game of Thrones, and we're covering season one, episode three, Lord Snow. And just so you guys know, we were, we'll be talking about it in, in context of the entire series thus far, so spoilers will be included for potentially up to Season 7, Episode 7. So without any further ado, let's jump into our top five. What's your number five, Travis? So my number five is the, actually, you know, speaking of spoilers, uh, <laughs> the many plot <laughs> seeds that are being planted. Awesome. Um... I just really liked I have a, I have a couple of notes on that. Um, for example, one of them was when Jorah took off to uh, essentially betray Danny. Right. Um, when when she finds out she's pregnant. I never actually caught that the first time I watched that because, <laughs> you know, you don't really know. Yeah, you have him. no idea immediately. So I was like, oh, he's just taking her. off in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. The uh, the handmaiden comes in and tells them that she's pregnant, and immediately he's like, I need to go to Kohor. <laughs> like, so after you yeah, after you know what's happening with that, it's like, oh my god, right? No hesitation. He immediately gets off gets up to ride off to Kohor and inform the the the, the king. <laughs> and yeah. uh he tells the the blood rider sitting there, it's kind of funny, he says, uh, you know, the guy's like, Oh well the Kalasar is move, riding to vase Dothrak and he's like, I'll catch up with you. <laughs> you know, like it's it's easy to find the Kalasar, which uh hints you know that he'll he's going to catch up with the Kalasar. It hints that his deed will eventually catch up to him as well. Exactly, gets him into another banishment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, another note on that, uh, into in regards to all of the plot seeds that are coming up. 
um, Baelish, uh, the cat's paw. He sort of plants the seed on, on Tyrion. Tyrion. Yeah. Bastard. <laughs> um, what was my other one? There was one more. Um, sorry. The uh, kind of plot seed part um, kind of signals, or uh, symbols, I should say, the early proposal for help from Cersei. Um, I kind of caught that when uh, I think it was Aemon, uh, Mormont, and Tyrion were talking up on the wall. Um, oh, right. Because, I mean, he's trying to get pe more people to man the wall. Um, he's like, you know, send word to your sister. Um, yeah, send word to your sister, the queen. <laughs> yeah, the queen. I need help. That's funny because they're asking her for help specifically in the in finale. In the finale, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, hey, that's that happens again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I, I didn't even catch um, that. And then just the uh, the early relationship between John and Tyrion. Um found that that yeah, was a that was really major fun i mean because this is really the only time they see each other for what seven years so <laughs> yeah they kind of had to have that little uh um icebreaker or meeting you know yeah and it seems like their uh last episode their relationship was off to a rocky start as Tyrion is sort of giving john shit for being stupid and joining the night's watch to defend us from Snarks and grumpkins, you know, and everything like that. Snarks and grumpkins. <laughs> and um, at the end, he sort of, you know, hands him an olive branch by giving him this, the flask of wine and have, tell him to, him to have, have a drink. So this episode, we sort of see their friendship blossom a little bit as Tyrion saves <laughs> saves John from being <laughs> <laughs> from having his throat slit by those those three hoods. Who is it? Grand Pip and um, that douchebag Rast, yeah. Rast or something. Which is one of that was one of the things I noticed as well. You know, I'm like, oh hey, they're gonna become like really, really good friends. Well, at least two of them. Yeah. <laughs> but just to see him on the early stages, you know, he's out there whooping them all in the yard. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. He's kicking all their asses, and and um, Tyrion puts him in his place for that, and tells him like, look, dudes, you know, these dudes, you know, none of them have probably even held a real sword beforehand. You know, give them a break, like lighten up on him you're a bastard but you grew up in a castle dude you know like <laughs> get get a grip they hate me because i'm better than them <laughs> yeah better than no one like benjen says um yeah any other uh any other points um just the whole baelish leading down that whole trail <laughs> um i think there was a part where he says you're a true friend to cat which i was just like oh all oh, right <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's interesting, too. Kat says to Ned later on in the episode, uh, or he says to her, actually, um, he still loves you, talking about Baelish. And Kat says, does he? You know, and I think that sort of hints that mm -hmm. Baelish can't really love. He's, it's more about possessing for him. So we see that with Sansa as well towards the end, you know, or the latter half of the series, he's fawning over her and protecting her and everything, but it doesn't, he doesn't really care about her, as we see when he yeah. sells her off to the Boltons. She's just a pawn in his plan, just a possession that he craves. <laughs> and this is like, well, I mean, the whole cat's paw dagger. I mean, this is really the only season, I believe, that we see it and then it disappears for years and then you come kind of forget about it, you know, as you're watching the watching the show. <laughs> yep. And then Littlefinger's got it again. Mm hmm. 
All right, so my number five is Benjen Stark. Just uh, seeing him again, which is really cool. It's been so long since he's been on the show, aside from his brief returns over the couple, you know, the past couple seasons. That um, I hadn't really remembered much about the details of him, but watching it now, it's like he's definitely <laughs> a Stark. You know, <laughs> as uh, as Baelish said in the episode, he said Stark's quick tempers and slow minds, and um, I don't really think. Benjamin has a slow mind per se, but he's definitely got a quick temper. He sort of, he sort of puts, puts John in his place up on the wall when John wants to go ranging and tells him, you know, you're not a ranger. You're better than no one. You hear people earn what they, what they get and they get it when they earn it, you know? Yeah. You just got to build yourself up. Yeah. So that was cool. He's, you know, he's, he's hard and, and strong, like, like Ned, and he he puts Tyrion in his in his place as well, like telling him about how the the how they are honorable people up there, and they do this stuff. It may be that they're not protecting them from much right now, but they're sacrificing everything they have so <laughs> plump little lords like him can be comfortable. <laughs> Tyrion's response there is funny too. He says to Yorin, uh, "Do you think I'm plump?" <laughs> that actually, um, your number five kind of relates a little bit to my number one, so I'll go into that later. Okay, um, but yeah, it's just. You know, it's sad to see Benjen leave, basically, to never be seen again and to die or almost die or whatever the case is with him. Um, so yeah, it's just really yeah, cool I, seeing Benjen again. So, yeah, that's, that's my number five. I totally agree. Um, Benjen was, I mean, you don't see him for six years. And then when you when he comes back into play, you're like, oh, wow, there's another Stark we kind of forgot about. <laughs> yeah, totally. An adult Stark. <laughs> yeah, an adult one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your number four? Um, my number four is uh, Jamie, and Ned, Jamie and Ned in the throne room again. <laughs> um, nice. I just really like the how it mirrors to the day that the Mad King fell. Um, because Ned Stark comes walking in just like he did in this episode. Um, right. And to find Jamie. Jamie. Find Jamie with the Mad King dead and um just the whole um the whole relationship between Ned and Jamie. They're just two characters that well, at the beginning you kinda hate Jamie, but you know, over the years you start to grow to like Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Um but just the relationship and the um, the differences between the two and how they are and how they play the game, essentially. And there's similarities uh, between the two as well. You know, they're both living with their own chosen form of dishonor. Ned chose to protect John and harbor the dishonor of, um, you know, or att- um, gain the dishonor on his, to his reputation of being a cheater and fathering a bastard, whereas... Jamie chose to protect the the inhabitants of King's Landing and and take the the dishonor onto his name of being a Kingslayer. So they're both living with the repercussions of their uh, the sacrifices of their own honor they've made for a, a higher cause, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just just seeing where they are in. Well, I mean, Ned doesn't make it past season one, but <laughs> seeing yeah. how seeing how the characters are now. Um, at least Jamie, the way he evolves throughout the um, seven seasons, just seeing him in this light is kind of like the, the golden Prince Charming, you know, in a way. <laughs> yeah. 
I think um, I think he's definitely been influenced by Ned. Yeah, I, I would I would say, um, what was it that he said? Um, do you do you tell yourself that when you go to sleep at night about um, you're uh, trying doing, to avenge my father? <laughs> yeah, feeling like justice. Justice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a cool interaction. Ned tells him, "Oh, that's some handsome armor you've got. Uh, not a scratch <laughs> on it." Right, and Jamie's <laughs> like, "Yeah, people have been swinging at me for years." And they always seem to miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I and, really like um, that. And, you know, they're kind of throwing jabs back and forth, tossing barbs. And um, it, there's a moment where, because Jamie doesn't realize necessarily that that Littlefinger has pitted these families against each other yet. You know, uh, he's, he doesn't think Ned has any reason to, at this point, other than their previous history to specifically hate him or whatever like that so um he actually i think jamie tries to reach out an olive branch here and like get serious and try to gain ned as an ally for a minute um when he tells him you know he starts off kind of taunting him by saying um you know it must be strange for you to be back in this room where you know i was i was standing right here the day it happened when the mad king burned your father and you know made your brother strangle himself to death and um, he eventually he, he turns it into, you know, saying, when I watched the Mad King die, I remembered him laughing as your father burned. It felt like justice, you know, and it <laughs> like kind of like reaching out to Ned and trying to connect with him and, you know, stating that it was wrong what the Mad King did. And and Ned spurns him and says, oh, like like you were saying, is that what you tell yourself at night? Like that it was justice. You served him well when it was safe. You know, and, and Jamie looks like really taken aback at that moment after he had tried to do something like tried to connect and and be be good and and show him that he he tried. He did something that was good on some level. You know, he avenged his father. And um, I think it, it hurt him that that Ned rejected that that olive branch. You could see it in his face, um, his eyes when when he's reacting to Ned there. It's got to be kind of weird to, you know, be in Jamie's position. You're trying to essentially suck up to, you know, this really honorable guy, knowing that, you know, a couple of days ago you just pushed his son out the window. <laughs> yeah. Like, and knowing like he's going to be wor- around working with you essentially for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Because I don't think at that, <laughs> I don't think at that point, moment. Um, well, he had to have known that he was coming to make um, make him hand of the king that was the whole purpose of them yeah. going down there yeah i don't know the things you do for love i guess <laughs> yeah exactly didn't really have much of a choice in his eyes at that moment well he didn't expect brand to wake up either so yeah definitely yeah. anything else for your number four no i mean that was just one of the highlights of uh the episode for me so i placed that at number four what about oh, you right my number four is aria and sirio pharrell yes <laughs> <laughs> The first sword of Bravos. <laughs> yeah, just I just had a big smile on my face watching it. Um, Maisie Williams is, I think, her performance is great here. Though just the 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 way they're interacting feels really genuine. You know, the way Sirio is kind of like putting her in her place, but like being playful about it, and she's like smiling at him. And I mm-hmm. just thought her her performance was really cute in this scene. <laughs> Very believable. It was really good to see Sirio again because yeah. I really miss that that actor. 
Yeah, he's the man. What was it? The, he calls it the Bravo stance and the water dance. <laughs> yep. Um, so funny, too. He tosses her the sword and she misses it. And he's like, tomorrow you will catch it. You know, <laughs> what do we say to death? <laughs> Not today. Um, he kind of reminded me of Borat every a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Just the way he talks. Uh, um, You've heard the... Uh... Um, you've probably heard the the, the theory about Serio. Uh, oh, but Jack and Hagar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I buy it or not. But yeah, um, I'm not sure either. It's just one of those things that I have read up on. Yeah, it, he seems. I mean, he he didn't seem like he had great chances of getting out of that scenario um, where he basically sacrifices himself to save Arya in a few episodes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But uh, um, but then again, you know, the Hound sort of casts doubt on his death uh, by saying, you know, the greatest fucking swordsman ever killed by Meryn fucking Trant. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's like, if he's that good, you know, he's like, he, she had, what did she say? He had a, only had a wooden sword. The greatest fucking swordsman only had a wooden sword. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't pay out for him in the end, though. Yeah. I mean, who knows? He could be alive. He could have escaped yeah. somehow. Or, I mean, I would love it if he was alive. He's such a great character. Um, I kind of think he's dead, though, sadly. Yeah. But yeah, you know, there's some really good lessons in this. Um, you know, the sword is as heavy as it needs to be to make you strong. Um, right off the bat, he's getting her to turn side face so that her skinny little body's not a target. <laughs> not as big a target. <laughs> Um, um, explains to her the steel must be part of your arm and, you know, can you drop part of your arm like you need a delicate grip but it's got to be part of you at the same time which has got to be a difficult balance to attain oh yeah def- yeah <laughs> sounds like playing a guitar <laughs> exactly you are one with the guitar <laughs> yeah very light but you know solid at the same time I like how he told her that all men are made of water yes um, reminded me of Bruce Lee, very Bruce Lee <laughs> Bruce the whole time. Lee. You know, you know about Bruce Lee and his philosophy of water. Yeah, yeah, where water can ebb, it can flow, it can crash, it can crash, take the yeah. shape of any object it fills. Um, be water, you know, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> badass philosophy. So I feel like the Bravos style of sword fighting sort of um, embodies this, um, which is really cool to see. What did you think about that scene? Um, I actually wrote down a couple of notes about it. Um, not too much, but um, did you happen to notice the um, interaction of Ned? Um, first, he's kind of smiling, and you know, he's like, "Oh, this is this is cool. Like she's learning. She's, uh, you know, she's gaining all this knowledge using learning how to use her sword that John gave her." And then his smile just goes to kind of a. Like a, frown, like a blank frown like he's like realizing like oh crap <laughs> and he seems to be having like a post-traumatic stress disorder like flashback yeah. moment where you can hear all these steel swords clanging and obviously yeah, I, like a battlefield and pretty hardcore yeah i wrote that same exact thing the uh um wrote it down the the swords like all the the clanging and the metal and just kind of wondering about about that <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to analyze that a little further. My uh, my number two is Ned, so we'll get more into Ned um, okay. at that sure. point. Um, yeah, there's other great lines with Sirio. Boy, girl, you're a sword. That is you're all. A sword. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He's such a great, uh, great character. The, the actor here, I can't remember his name, but his 
is just delightful. That's like the the best word for it. Like his his flamboyance and his enthusiasm for everything, and he's just like I'd be a great teacher to have. You know what I mean? He keeps right. you excited about the subject matter, and he's stern, but also like very effective and gets you engaged and whatnot. I don't think we ever see any more um, Swords of Bravos. I mean, he was the former first sword, but I mean, do we? Yeah, do we we, actually... uh, we don't we don't see any of the first swords for sure. We don't really see many people from Bravos and in definitely general. Not, yeah, and definitely not not any Swords of Bravos. I don't think. Um, yeah. Oh, there's another cool moment where he says, "You're not holding a battle axe. You're holding a and." Arya jumps in and goes, a needle! <laughs> and his smile just yeah. said it all. <laughs> yeah. Just so. Like, that ah, was cool. Yes. I love her needle. Sansa's got her sewing needles. Arya's got her needle, you know? <laughs> yeah, she she keeps it all the way until season seven, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> she, she doesn't keep it the whole time, but she definitely the whole time. retrieves yeah. it. Yeah, she gets it back yeah. and then, then keeps it. Um, yeah. <laughs> John lost his sword once, too, though, so. Hers was stolen as well once. Yep. Um, by uh oh god, I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> but when they're like, she's like, he's got needle. It's yeah, yeah. In, it's in like season he four used or it something. To kill Lamy. <laughs> yeah. The fuck's a Lamy? <laughs> uh, yeah, I love a, that quote. I can't remember who uh, that is either at this moment. It's Polliver, yeah. right? Isn't it Polliver? Yeah, yeah, Polliver. Yep. yep. Um, We'll get to that eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else for um, Ario or uh, Ario, Arya and Sirio? Uh, no. I mean, it kind of relates to my number three. A All right, bit. jump right into it. Number three. So my number three was Arya and Ned's relationship. <laughs> nice. Um, it just I really liked. I mean, it, it's it's similar to her and John's, but it. It's, yeah, it's different because, it you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of this, it's not exactly the same, but it's, yeah, you know it's, what I mean? there, like, there are elements of similarity. Like Ned yeah. ends up supporting her for what she wants to do. He's yeah, maybe he's a like little more hesitant her. or protective about it, but the same spirit as John, um, he's backing her and he's, you know, he, he enjoys her for who she is. Um, whereas John is like all in and encouraging it. Ned is not necessarily encouraging it, but he's not discouraging her mm-hmm. uh, unladylike behavior either same area just different degrees of in of the spectrum with her with a uh, john and ned and her relationship right yeah yeah exactly the uh and her and in this episode i think they have a few um just aria and ned scenes yep um they keep having these talks <laughs> which yeah. i think is more than i mean the uh with all of his children, I think that's the most that Ned um, has these one-on-one conversations with um, is Arya. Because um, you don't, we don't really get to see him talk with Rob very much or um, old Bran fell and then Recon is tiny. <laughs> yeah, he never really, we don't really get to see him interact much with Bran or Rickon at all. Um, a little bit with John. We, do we see him talk to to uh, Rob at all? Really? Not really. <laughs> yeah, I didn't it's think just so. kind of Rob raises his banners once he finds out about his father. But other than that, there's not that I can think of. Right. Um, 
I really liked the scene where Arya was just sitting there stabbing the table. <laughs> oh yeah, that was funny. Going off about the, uh, um, who was it? Uh, the Septa. Yeah, Septa Mordain says, "What are you doing?" And she says, "Practicing." And uh, <laughs> practicing for what? And she says, "For the prince, for Prince Joffrey," <laughs> which is kind of funny because she also is openly like openly admitting to planning on killing the queen um in season seven so she's <laughs> she's openly talking about murdering members of the royal family repeatedly throughout the series which is pretty classic <laughs> yeah and then he uh you know he's essentially teaching aria about how the way the way things are just how they are um uh when they're having i think i can't i think it was the end of the episode when they're having their one-on-one -on -one chat um He's telling her that, you know, Sansa is going to side with Joffrey no matter what, even if it's a lie. Right. She, um, she's called in front of the queen and asked to lie about the prince and she's betrothed to him. So she's she has to defend him and can't lie about him. And <laughs> fucking Sansa. I, I think it's kind of hard for Arya to hear that coming from her father, considering the, the man he was. Right. Um, All about honor and whatnot for him to condone lying is unusual so to speak even though he has the biggest lie <laughs> out there <laughs> right <laughs> um, what about honor. you my number three is the th looming threat of winter <laughs> which we get repeatedly in this episode the first yes. time uh, sort of starting with old nan talking with bran and telling offering to tell him a story and he says he hates her stories and she tells him she knows a story about a boy who hated stories and he doesn't want to hear about Sir Duncan the Tall, boo. But he he does like scary stories, and we get that epic monologue where she she goes off about the how fear is for the long night, and about how the night lasted generations long, so children were all born and died in darkness and everything, and it's interrupted by by uh, Rob when he opens the door and scares Bran. But that's <laughs> just a legendary <laughs> moment in this show, right? <laughs> The um, the I don't know what her name is, but the actor who plays old man, old man, yeah, she does awesome. a really good job at just the the major creep factor. Yeah, totally. You know, just kind of loom, looming in and or leaning in, I should say, um, and just kind of you know getting him super into the stories, um, and then just you know gets up and goes and has her dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thousands of years ago, there came a night that lasted a generation. Kings froze to death in their castles, same as the shepherds in their huts. Women smothered their babies rather than see them starve, and wept and felt the tears freeze on their cheeks. So is this the sort of story you like, Bran? <laughs> he just nods. <laughs> You're really good at that. You could, uh, you should be in like the video games and you know, Doing voiceover old, old voices. man. <laughs> In that darkness, the White Walkers came for the first time. <laughs> I like the part about the packs of pale spiders as big as hounds. You know, I wonder if we're ever going to get to see spiders. Like, we better, man. That would be so cool. I, that's one of the things that I've been looking out for in the in the show, you know, having having read the books. Yeah, there's. Um, it's interesting. There's a couple of different characters who seem to be prophetic and who are right about many things. And old Nan is one of the uh, the characters whose intelligence seems very accurate 
as we progress and learn more, like she's right about the white walkers and about all this stuff about the long night, it seems. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know. That's just pretty cool. A lot of other, you know, people with prophecies or who tell us unusual things, they're wrong, you know, (laughs) like Melisandre (laughs) half the time or whatever. But old Nan seems to be right on the money about this. Then we also hear more about the winter when uh, Tyrion is up at the wall and he's sort of confronted by Jor Mormont and Aemon, Maester Aemon, who are telling him, you know, Maester Aemon asks him how long was the longest winter he'd experienced. And he's, what do he say, he's been through nine or eight or nine winters. The longest was three years. And Aemon points out that this summer has been nine years long and winter is coming. You know, so. doesn't he say something along the lines of the Starks are always right at some point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Starks are always right. <laughs> Eventually, they're always right. Winter is yeah. coming, and you know, a long winter mean a long summer means an extra long and brutal winter. So he, they go on to tell him about how there's reports of the White Walkers and you know wildlings that they've captured coming south who say that the what they've seen the White Walkers, and he talks about how you know people at ports, the sailors say they've seen. Krakens and all this other nonsense. And Jor points out that one of our rangers, you know, swore he saw the White Walkers and they killed his friends right until uh, Ned Stark cut his head off. And you can see that statement sort of sets Tyrion aback. He, he sort of just stares at Jor when he's telling him that and doesn't really give much of a vocal reaction at all. It kind of surprises him. So you can tell he's sort of open to the idea, although still pretty much at this point thinks it's bullshit. But that just you know, sets up for the the fact that later when he has evidence or more evidence from more reliable people that he would end up buying it. He even said uh, in season seven that Mormont told him that uh, that they'd seen the White Walkers and he trusted Mormont, you know. So we know that it plays it has an effect in his future mind state for sure. Yeah, and Mormont is a believer at this point too. Yeah, because of definitely. The, the arm. <laughs> yep. the... Oh yeah. Oh well, no, that hasn't even happened yet. Oh yeah, no, that's right. Um... I'm ahead. See what happens. <laughs> See what happens when you rewatch the seasons. <laughs> yeah, it's all jumbled. Um, yep. Yeah, it's pretty. So that scene is pretty ominous. We get the looming threat, and um, Aemon and Mormont beg. Tyrion to go south and ask his his uh, sister the queen for help which yeah, is funny like because was... we do yeah we they end up doing the same thing in this current season so the looming threat it's always coming <laughs> <laughs> always coming so that's pretty much it for my number three what about uh your number two okay moving along to my number two um, kind of on a roll with these uh, <laughs> it's Robert, Jamie and Barristan and their war stories <laughs> oh nice yeah it's a great scene I just I really liked it uh, where Robert was talking about uh, how his first kill was a Tarly boy at the uh, Battle of Summerhall which uh, for you know people who are listening who are not in depth with the history um, Robert also won three battles in a single day at Summerhall oh damn I um, forgot about that yeah, it's like a pretty intense, um, like just that specific day. So I like that was the first day that he killed someone. And it was also the Battle of Summerhall, which was, you know, there was three battles that took place over that day. And just hearing the, you know, he was talking about Jamie and, you know, he's like, so when was your first kill? <laughs> and uh, seeing Barristan again, just kind of on the Kingsguard. That was really nice. I really liked that. 
It's cool too. Barristan's uh, first kill, he he put a lance through a guy's heart. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Robert said, "Oh, that's nice and quick." You know, and when he t- talks about killing the Tarly boy, he says he smashed his his breastplate in with his hammer. Gods, was I strong then? You know, <laughs> and uh, and Redis, he's he's got his war hammer over his head, and he's about to crash it down and the guy says wait wait and he crushes his head anyway <laughs> uh but yeah that's a pretty brutal depiction of that i like his jab at jamie where he was like so what was your first kill not including old men yeah that was, that was <laughs> like, funny too right at the uh, he, always comes back to the kingslayer and part. he continues <laughs> taunting him too like really you want to taunt the guy who killed the last king <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah he's like i've had you yeah, how do you feel standing outside my door? Well, I fuck your sister. Uh, <laughs> uh, pretty brutal. And yeah, um, yeah. the other thing, one of our listeners, um, Ellen Clark, actually emailed us a couple weeks ago and mentioned that she was rewatching this and noticed that he's talking about, Robert's co- talking about killing a Tarly boy. And then he also says, they never tell you how they all shit their pants when they die and how they all shit themselves. <laughs> So it's just like how how Dickon uh, Dickon Tarley was talking about how they never tell you how smells of shit how they all shit themselves. Oh wow! I in never, uh, season seven, oh. yeah, right wow, before he a, died. It's a really good catch. That's yeah, really so, small. Um, <laughs> Ellen Ellen Clark, good job with that. That was a yeah, definitely really awesome detail to catch. Um, anything else about that scene you wanted to mention? Um, yeah, a little bit. All right. Um, just going back into the whole. Summer Hall backstory. <laughs> um, I really like it when the show drops small little, I guess, not really book nods because it's still in the show, but, you know, they don't go too much into it, but you kind of have to know the backstory to um, understand what they're fully talking about. Um, Summer Hall is also where Sir Duncan and Egg, Egg um, on the Fifth, um, perished. Right. Uh, and it's where Rhaegar was born. <sighs> Yep, I wrote that down as well. Um, and, uh, Rhaegar was born. Um, there was also a prophecy. Um, I think, th- what did they say? Um, prophecy by a, and I quote, this is from the book, a midget woods witch <laughs> um, that would have been born by Ares and Rayla. Rayla, yeah, that the prince yeah, was Rayla. promised would be yeah. born from the Ares and Rayla line. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. which Jon Snow and Daenerys both are. Both come from. Just some cool background info. Yeah. Um, yeah and Rhaegar would often, you know, go visit Summer Hall, and when he would come back, he would have, a tr- have written a tragic song and would play it and leave everybody crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rhaegar always wanted to lighten up the mood. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so just hearing the, the, you know, Summer Hall mentioned, you know, because we never actually get to see it in the show. So, yeah. Oh, and we get that cool, um, that cool moment from Jamie where, you know, Robert's taunting him still about the Mad King. What did he say when you stabbed him in the back? Did he call you a traitor? Did you do all this? Did he say you're a coward? And uh, <laughs> Jamie's like, actually, he just, you know, he said the same thing he'd been saying for hours. Burn them all. <laughs> Burn them all. Um, which is super fucking creepy. And obviously that, that, haunts jamie to this day yeah it's just one of his uh something that's just going to be stuck with him for the rest of his life and considering cersei's later propensity for (laughs) fire and blowing things up and and shit um (laughs) it makes sense you know jamie it's not surprising that jamie ends up bailing on her eventually 
All right. Anything else about uh, your number two? Um, just the last little finishing touch that we kind of um, we we get to hear Sir Duncan, <laughs> his name dropped. Oh yeah, yeah, it's always um, good. In in the war stories, I mean, well, the war stories part was about Summerhall, which is where Sir Duncan and Egg were, and then, then old uh, man mentioned old Sir, man Duncan, mentioned Sir Duncan, <laughs> yep. which I believe is the only time. No, no, no. There's one other time when Jamie is looking at the Kingsguard book that Sir Duncan the Tall is mentioned. Right. Joffrey mentions um, or him Joffrey, as Joffrey's yeah. flipping through it and then yeah. goes to make fun of Jamie for having a short page of deeds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's looking at Jamie's page. That's what it was. His page is yeah. in half an inch shy of an inch, you <laughs> <we> can say. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So my number two is Ned in general. And yeah, it was cool seeing Ned arriving in King's Landing and stepping into that room where all that took place, just like the first time he walked in there when Jamie was there. And then um, he he Ned tries to give Sansa a doll and she rejects it. I haven't played with dolls since I was eight years old. And I'm, I may I be excused and she's being all snotty and whatnot. And Ned ends up saying war is easier than daughters. Um <laughs> And so when he's watching his daughter fight, fight brings, yeah. you know, that may have, it, it's sort of, there's a couple lines in this episode that hint at Ned being like sort of a traumatized dude, um, scarred by war, you can definitely say. And then seeing his daughter like practicing a fight just even rub, rubbed it in even further and triggered that flashback. I liked um, how he, you know, he came and vi- came and visited Arya and found Needle. And saw it was Micken's maker's mark on the blade. You know, the Winterfell um, smith. Blacksmith. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he asks where she got it and she doesn't respond. And she says, <laughs> you shouldn't be playing with swords. And Arya says, I wasn't playing and I don't want to be a lady. You know, ladies don't play with swords, he said. Um, and, uh, you know, she comforts Arya when she says that I just wanted to learn. And I asked Micah to practice with me. It was my fault. Ned, you know, tells her it wasn't her fault that the butcher's boy died. Nothing she could have done about that. You know, it was all the evil Lannister family and whatnot. I have a little note on that. Um, you know, you just said that they, um, or that she's not a lady. Um, I find I find it kind of funny that Sansa names her direwolf lady. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the the names of the direwolves just kind of relate to them, you know. I mean, she named hers after uh, Nymeria. Right, the strong warrior woman. And how does um, yeah, Summer... Summer was named for um, being born in the summer and how Bran is a summer child. Right. <laughs> what about um, Ghost? How does that relate to John? Ghost, um, you know, he, he essentially is... Oh yeah, a, he's a ghost. A ghost, kind of. like yeah. you know, he's a, doesn't he's not really he's a not star. Really who he, he is, like he's, kind he's, of floats around. he's the living ghost of the Targaryen that nobody knew was born. Exactly. Um, what about Grey Wind um, for Rob? Grey Wind, I think in the books he mentioned something along the lines of uh, Grey Wind's name, and when he named it, or when he named him Grey Wind, it had to do with the, uh, I think it, it had to do with his speed on the battlefield or something. Oh, nice. Um, I could I could be wrong a little bit on that, but it's in my memory just briefly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Shaggy Dog. <laughs> oh, yeah, because, yeah, that's basically Rickon, you know, just yeah, wandering he's around just some... unsupervised <laughs> as his parents yep. leave Winterfell forever. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. What else is there? It was funny. Ned tells Arya not to stab Sansa with the blade, uh, which she ends up not doing um, overall. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And he, like we were saying, he encourages her uh, unladylike behavior by saying, you know, if you're going to own a sword, you better know how to use it. And he hires Sirio Pharrell to teach Arya the ways of the Bravos dance, which is pretty cool. I, I liked how um, he got all pissed off when when Littlefinger brings him to go meet um, Catelyn at the whorehouse and he thinks he's just yanking his chain, bringing him to a whorehouse. So he chokes him out, just like Jon Snow choked him out. Choked out Littlefinger. I, in, I wrote uh, this that in my notes. Season. I wrote John and Ned choke and Baelish. Yeah, and they have the same camera angle, and Peter Baelish yep. is gri- gripping up their fingers, trying to trying to <laughs> unhook their claws each time. The same like over the shoulder camera angle. So that's cool to see that. He doesn't have very good luck with uh, Starks. It's Starks in general, yeah. Starks. Ah, the Starks. Quick tempers, ah, slow minds. Yeah, and then we get that moment where Ned has his PTSD, and he's, you know, we can tell he's a traumatized dude. Um, yeah, living with a lot of stress. So that pretty much covers my number two, just all the Ned stuff. Great to see Ned. What about what you got for your number one? Uh, one quick thing to add on to your final one before I move on to my sure. number one, um, which is in regards to Ned Stark. Um, being a cosplayer, I constantly look at the costumes, and oh, how man. things are created. He's, his, <laughs> so the cost, yeah, his outfit's so badass this episode, is, and it's something we don't see um, in the rest of the season. Uh, just the way I don't really know what it's called, but he doesn't really have a cloak, but it's kind of it kind of is like it's, it's like attached. a half cape, like his, it's yeah, a cape it's like that a goes over his right shoulder, but yeah. instead of like the seam being up at his neck, the seam goes it, diagonally downwards to the under underside of his left shoulder so his left yeah. shoulder is always exposed but he does have a cape hanging down it's like yeah, yeah. it's really cool first time i noticed it's like that too. sewn into his back in a way yeah so it's it's really good i just thought it was a really different uh look compared to some of the other um starks and their their look you know yeah it's a really cool dynamic look um which yeah like i said i never noticed before so it's cool we both picked up on that thanks for bringing that up yeah, it might be it. a uh, King's Landing type thing, too, because I think I do remember seeing stuff as the show progresses, um, that kind of a style. Huh. Um, I don't recall, but I, he had just uh, arrived from the road, and I don't think he yeah. really ever adopts King's Landing. That's true, yeah, any, I don't know. We'll have to keep an anything. eye out for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's also the only time we see the Starks enter King's Landing in that manner <laughs> oh yeah like on a friend on a friendly note <laughs> yeah true <laughs> like it's though. like the only time you'll see the starks going into king's landing like that yeah definitely without without a military guard or something or, <laughs> or something in and out like aria <laughs> right all right so uh what's your number one okay we'll finally move on <laughs> uh my number one is john snow atop the wall with benjamin Nice. Um, I just, I really like the relationship between John and Benjamin. Um, giving what we know happens in season seven, it just kind of amplifies those feelings a little bit, you know, because they're talking and like that's the last time they'll talk before he goes out beyond the wall and then we don't see him for seven years. <laughs> yeah, craziness. Um, and just watching that scene where John rides up the wall for like the first time. 
and then uh, he uh you know he approaches and i think benjen says um i wanted to be here when you saw it for the first time yeah i think he was just talking about the you know the wall and like not the, the view, wall in general, yeah. but the view you know like from atop the boat beyond uh from atop the wall yeah and then benjen's going off about how you know I mean, he just pretty much shows that he's a firm believer of what's actually beyond the wall. You know, he's kind of dropping these subtle hints, you know, as and John's not ready to go beyond the wall. <laughs> like you need you need to earn your your keep, kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Yeah, hmm. there's a lot of um, people this episode sort of putting John in his place, like Tyrion explaining to him that, you know, he's not better than the people that he's working with, the, his new Friend, or his not friends yet, but his new compatriots, uh, brothers of the Night's Watch, that they don't have the same upbringing. That he needs to stop being a dick, basically, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And um, Benjen sort of hits him with the same thing: like you got this, you know, better than everybody attitude. Like just cool your fucking jets, bro. Like, like you you'll, you'll get there in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and watching John go up the elevator, um, I. I paid pretty close attention to that because the the way that the elevator goes up, the creakingness, you know, I mean, it's it's a really big wall, something, you know, that he's never been on, like anything of that matter before. Um, so I was I was watching it from the perspective uh, a few years ago. There was um, this Oculus Rift event at in Seattle. <clears throat> For anybody that doesn't know, Oculus Rift is like a 3D goggle type thing, like a virtual reality thing. Yeah, it it was it was amazing. Um, I was hired to go up there for a day um, dressed as Jon Snow. For those who don't know, I'm a Jon Snow cosplayer. <laughs> um, so we, myself and a couple of other friends, we went up there and we were kind of paid to take pictures with people while they waited in line to you know, do this experiment or this experience. And, uh, they had the, uh, like the elevators, they, they actually made the elevators like full frame and everything. And oh, they had nice. these, they had these fans that were like stationed below blowing air up at you. Like it was cold air. <laughs> and then, uh, at the end of the day, you know, I got to finally do this, um, this uh, virtual reality experience and you know i put the headset on and had this cold air blowing on me and i'm in Jon snow like the cosplay the furs you know and the it was, it was, just, it was a really cool experience but you go like watching john in that scene go up the elevator it just reminded me of what i saw because i've actually been in that elevator gone up that i mean it takes a few minutes to get all the way to the top and you know as you're as you're going up you're just like seeing all the seven kingdoms expand and like the trees and oh man castle black way below you and just a really cool experience. Yeah, it um, sounds badass. <laughs> and like the way that he was standing um, when he, he goes up the elevator, gets to the top and he turns, they have you do that in the Oculus Rift. Uh, I think it was called the Ascend the Wall Oculus Rift. Um, so for listeners, if you want to Google that and That's see if so it's cool. still out there. <laughs> uh, but so he, anyways, he turns and they have you... Um turn in that same manner and it at the time they might they might have uh worked on it a bit since the last time i did this because it's been a couple of years and it was still in like the beta stages 
but um you know i they 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 tap on your shoulder and that signals when you're supposed to turn because if you don't turn your character in the virtual reality will just go towards the edge of the wall whether or not you're looking in the right direction oh that's funny (laughs) so uh yeah you know it turns you know it pushes you towards the edge of the wall and then you know you're standing on top of the wall looking down and it's just it, it it reminded me of just how John, what he must have been feeling when, when I was seeing it kind of through my own eyes. And, uh, yeah. What a cool thing to, to see in yeah. virtual reality. The scary part <laughs> was you're like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Like I'm on top of the wall. It's cold. Um, you can actually see the snowflakes kind of coming down. I did it a few times to make sure I caught as many, as much of the uh, details as I could. Nice. And, um, you know, you see all the wildlings start to uh, charge against the wall, I guess. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. It's like you see all these fires down there and you're like, wow, that's cool. Like they're attacking the wall. I'm up here. Um, the first time I did it, uh, I I was standing there and I saw this arrow coming at me. I'm like, oh, it's a big fire arrow. huh? Well, it hits your character in the chest. Huh. And you fall off the wall. No joke. No joke. It was like, it was scary. Like, it was freaky. Because you're spinning all different ways and whatnot. And every time uh, I watched people do it for a few hours, but I never knew what they were seeing, you know. And they were, like, gripping onto the elevator. (laughs) Because you're still technically in the elevator, even when you get to all of those parts of the the experience. Right, you walk out onto the wall. I went up, um, I think three times and all of those times I never held on to the elevator or anything. Cause I wanted to try to be in as much of, you know, I didn't in want character. any of the, the real world to take a, <clears throat> take away from the, the experience. So, yep. I fell off. Oh, there's also spiders. So speaking of spiders, um, we spiders? Get, yeah, yeah. We get to see them. No way. Uh, they're off in the, the side. I caught that my second time going through. And then the second time I was going through, I was focused on the spiders when the uh, um, the arrow when, when the air when the arrow hits you because you have a certain amount of time. So when the arrow hit you, um, I was focused on the spiders. And then as I was falling, I was trying to focus on the top of the wall that time. You know, I was just focusing on different parts just to try to get the uh, the whole thing nice. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, I mean, that's just. It was just a really seeing John in this episode go up there just really reminded me of that whole experience of being, you know, in character, in costume, going up this wall. You know, not many people I would got to do that. Um, got, got to do that. Got to do that experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys don't go up to the wall every day. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Anything else for your number one? Um, I think let me see yeah i think that was pretty much it and the whole benjamin thing and john so nice yeah that good transition into my number one which is uh Tyrion and john we sort of talked about their uh encounter earlier how Tyrion sort of saves john from having his throat slit and he's you know the guys are like what are you looking at and he's like well i'm looking at you you've all got very in- unique faces, you know. Maybe I'll tell my sister. Uh, they, you know, <laughs> so what does he say? I'm thinking about how good they would look decorating the um, the red keep on spikes. Oh yeah. <laughs> so they all like bail, and John lives to fight another day. And 
then they meet up at the wall or up on top of the wall again and uh, Tyrion is peeing off the top just like he said he wanted to and um you know John tells him he's going to miss him basically which is cool cuz they've sort of connected and he asks him to pass a message along to Bran which was nice of him uh nice of Tyrion to do and um, I like Tyrion's line. He says, well, if you're going to be a cripple, it's better to be a rich cripple. A rich cripple. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of makes John smile. Um, I was going to say, on, in regards to the uh, the cripple mark, uh, for the next, like, six seasons, they're not that rich. <laughs> yeah, true. He's pretty uh, pretty dead broke, living in the woods yeah. with a giant... <laughs> with a... <laughs> um, with a Hodor. Yeah, with a Hodor. <laughs> um, under a tree and whatnot. So yeah, it was just kind of cool seeing uh, John and Tyrion's relationship become more friendly by the end and sets the stage for season seven when they finally, um, it's the bridge in their relationship that enables John and Daenerys to link up. Um, oh yeah. You know, which is pretty cool. That letter that he sends him um, in season seven, you know, that's how John knows that it's it's actually Tyrion. Yeah, exactly. I'll... I'll um, all bastard, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. So, um, that's my number one. You got any other notes of things you want to mention from the episode? Um, I just I, I wrote down Viserys made to walk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, that's right where I was going with this too. Um, there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Danny tells the Colossar to Colossar to stop. Um, just like she does in season six, I believe, after she escapes from the dash colleen and kills the other calls she's yep. leaving you know she's she's cruising with the whole calls are she tells him to stop and they stop and it's just like this kind of you know and she goes off and finds drogon she's like senses him in the distance but this time she goes off by herself and ends up interacting with a different dragon which is her brother viserys I who could... comes up and um you know he's being a bitch i don't take <laughs> orders from you blah 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 and um, one of her, one of da- Daenerys is one of Khal Drogo's blood riders, like grabs him around the neck with his whip. That was so cool. And, uh, yeah, drags him across and just choking him so hardcore. And um, so, so she lets Viserys up eventually. And Viserys tells um, Jorah, he's like, Mormont, kill these Dothraki dogs. And Mormont does nothing. And he's like, I am your king. <laughs> and it, it kind of reminded me of when. Um, when Tywin arrives in King's Landing and he's at the small council meeting with with Tyrion and Joffrey and Joffrey says to Tyrion, like, I am your king, you know, and and Tywin says any man who must say he is a king is no king at all. So that made <laughs> me think of this scene with Viserys saying, I am your king, it made me think of that and like how he's just does not deserve a kingship. He's no king. And Danny yeah. comes to recognize that as well, which is pretty awesome. And I think Jorah was, you know, uh, like he's starting to, to recognize, you know, the difference between Danny and Viserys. And oh, definitely. <laughs> you can see a huge difference. You can see the, the respect he has for Danny, which is, you know, kind of weird because at this moment in time, we don't know that he is betraying spying her. Spying on her. Yeah. Spying it, on yeah, her. It's so sad, too. I don't know if it was this episode or the last one, but Danny asks Jorah, like, what do you dream of? And he says, home, Khaleesi. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know he really likes Daenerys. Like he, she met, reminds him of his ex-wife. Um, so he never disliked her, but he's just yep. so desperate to get home that he's willing to betray even something that he finds beautiful just for the, 
off chance that it may get him back to Westeros. So mm-hmm. he's in a shitty position the whole time, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just sad. Yeah. Um, I liked how how the imp is chilling up there with Yorin, who is the, the guy who is sent down to King's Landing and ends up bringing Gendry and Arya up towards the north before being killed himself. But uh, the imp man, half-man Tyrion, is chilling up there with Yorin, and he's getting along with him, this kind of like rough, burly, like surly dude who's very <laughs> similar to Bronn. You know, yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, yeah, oh, he's hey. a very Bronn character, and so it makes sense. Tyrion gets along with this style of dude very well, <laughs> you know, so yep. it's no surprise to see them traveling together. And he's like, you, you're heading to King's Landing too. You're traveling south with me. And what does he say? Yorin's like, I, I don't know, my lord. I travel more on the grubby side <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, not this time. You don't. We're staying in all the finest castles and, <laughs> and everything right. on the way to King's Landing. So that was cool. If you think about it, uh, Yorin kind of has it made a little bit more than the other Night's Watch, well, the current Night's Watch. Oh, being, as um, he can travel and do all yeah, this stuff. Like he yeah, like, I've always, I, I mean, I noticed, I noticed that my first watch um, years ago when I watched this. Um, Definitely. That he's just able to, you know, he's able to just go, come and go, you know, he's not like. They have no you know, idea what he's doing most of the time. You know? Yeah, I know. Like, he as can... long as he comes back with some people, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the most free of all the Night's Watch. Yeah, just... he gets to go be warm, you know, yeah, have going, uh, probably better food and drink. <laughs> go and sword fight. <laughs> and, you know, scare little girls and cut their hair off and tell them to pretend to be boys. And right. Do all weird stuff like that. Oh, man, I <laughs> miss him. Sounds like he's a real weird guy, put it in that perspective. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Yorin's cool, man. I like that character. He always reminds me of a pirate. We'll probably talk about him. I think that more. guy played awesome pirate. You know what I mean? Yeah. That actor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other cool things. Jora has a debates on the merits of armor versus speed with oh. one of the Blood Riders. Yeah. Which is a pretty cool scene, foreshadowing his killing of um, was it Jogo, one of one of the Blood Riders in single combat later mm. on this season, when um, when the guy tries to use an Eric and it boom just connects just, with his armor, yeah. doesn't do anything to Jorah and he just slits the guy's throat. <laughs> like I made a little note on to what you just said. Um, I wrote it down and it was the uh, the fact that I don't think we ever, besides Masande, I think um, we don't really get to see them attempt to speak English um, in the way that he did. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Dothraki in general don't really speak much English throughout the series. Yeah. Good good call on that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was watching the, the whole armor scene, and then he started, like, attempting to speak English, and he, he said some words to Jorah, you know, in his language. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of, you know, we don't really get to see that much. Yeah, I mean, no Jorah can kind of speak Dothraki pretty well, right? Um, Viserys, uh, one of the things I kind of wrote down was um, when Daenerys makes the whole Kalasar stop, like we were just talking about, why she goes just wandering out into the tall bushes. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> Any idea? I, 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 I don't too. know. Like, I mean, I get that she was kind of upset that you know the, the slave was being whipped and that kind of stuff, but then she just kind of goes out and it looks like she's looking around, like she's looking for something. Like, Maybe she um, just wanted to chill for a moment. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's like, I need a breather. a cool spot to chill. 
Yeah, uh, riding on this horse doing nothing for hours is you know, tiring. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, a couple other notes. We find out the crown is six million in debt, which Cersei ends up paying off later. Uh, Three million to the Iron Bank of Bravos in season seven. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And Ned is shocked that Robert has allowed the kingdom to go that far in debt, which is like huge deficit financing is never good. I don't believe that Robert Aaron would allow this. <laughs> yeah, which is it sort of echoes our like 20 bazillion trillion dollar <laughs> national debt of the U.S., which is funny. Um, Joffrey is being a, like a total dick. Um, he's talking with Cersei and he's like t- telling her what happened with Arya and the wolves and everything. And his mom's like, that's not what happened, you know? You fought that wolf off and blah, 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 blah. Like one day you'll be king and you'll sit the Iron Throne and truth will be what you make it. So she's encouraging to live in his own reality and lie and um, just be a shitty person. And she asks him how he would handle the North after he says that they they give the North too much power. And he's like, I double their taxes and crush them if they rebel. And it just becomes clear that he has no concept of the type of behavior that earns loyalty. um, Right. Which is... A parallel between him and the the Mad King. I think that's something that they shared, because they didn't were not <laughs> not great at gathering loyalty or making people want to be loyal to them. Exactly. Cersei Which also mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. She uh um, she she mentioned you know to Joffrey you know saying something along the lines of um you know you, the truth is what you make it, and then she goes off about the the Mad King and Robert. We also saw Ned being very friendly with Renly, which was funny. I guess they must know each other going back a long time because of his friendship with Robert. Um, I had forgotten that at the moment when I was watching it, though. So I was like, whoa, he's like super friendly with Renly. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Varys tries to be super cool with Ned, but fucks up by saying, oh, we're all hoping that Joffrey makes a full recovery. I heard about your troubles on the King's Road, you know, and Ned's like, fuck you, man. Like, fuck Joffrey. <laughs> so Varys was trying to get in with him by, you know commenting um compassionately about right. their troubles but he realizes that he fucked up pretty quickly there which is hilarious <laughs> he's like he uh he also when i heard him say that he didn't say anything about you know ned's son <laughs> also right yeah like, i'm sorry about your son sorry who's about like Bran. on deathbed over here <laughs> but we'll pray for the prince and ned's like oh i wish you you know, said a prayer for the butcher's boy, and Varys is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he's interacting with Baelish first time, and and he we hear Baelish mention uh, dueling for the for Catelyn's love, and and <laughs> it's funny, um, Ned tells him, uh, m- maybe you picked the wrong opponent, and he's like, oh, I never picked the opponent, I just picked the woman, you know, and you know she's worth fighting for. <laughs> I want to bang your wife, Ned. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so that's pretty funny. And Ned seems to to always be analyzing how people choose their opponents. Because who else does he he mention it to um, in the same episode? He talks to someone about how they picked the right opponent. Oh no, he's talking to Jamie, right? About how he picks yeah, the right opponents, the right how, how they never hit his armor <laughs> and whatnot. So he's uh, really analyzing how people pick their opponents, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Oh, one more thing about the um, opponents part that I kind of caught on to um, that I forgot to write it down, but I, I remember picking it up. The um, the fact that so Ned's not really down for the whole tourney thing. Right. Um, 
and it just kind of reminded me of how what he it's said to Jamie. Up. Yeah, it's brought up to multiple uh, in multiple um, events throughout the series that some people like the tourneys, and then some people don't like to show off their moves. Um, right, yeah, when I fight a man, I don't want him to know what I can do. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, although Ned probably wouldn't be fighting himself. Uh, yeah, story, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, just his attitude toward tournaments in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. a bunch of like ceremonial wartime stuff when he's traumatized by war and doesn't glorify it anyway so it's like glorifying something horrible essentially in his mind i think and then spending a lot of money to do it too which uh, doesn't make any goddamn sense basically it's one hell of a first day on the job yeah (laughs) all right that it i think that's it right we will take a little break and we will be back shortly stay with us there's more to come with news about game of thrones our first item it is an article by express game of thrones season eight lena hetty exposes huge cersei secret it's very shocking game of thrones will return with a minefield of surprises for its final season but lena hetty has already revealed cersei lannister's big secret is about to unravel imminently the game of thrones season seven finale saw the current ruler of the iron throne promise Jon snow and daenerys targaryen that she'll be joining forces with her enemies to bring down the white walkers Unbeknownst to them, she already made a pact with Euron Greyjoy and the Golden Company to kill off whoever survives the battle against the Night King. I think her lie will be very shocking, Hetty warned in the latest issue of TV and Satellite Week. Cersei is such a bitch, she said. (laughs) However, Cersei could be in with a huge shock herself, as it seems she made a big mistake when she sent Euron to pick up a group of sellswords called the Golden Company. Cersei may be surprised to find out that the Golden Company are already fighting for Jon, whose real name is actually Aegon Targaryen. (laughs) In the novels by George R. R. Martin, the Golden Company are largely descended from exiled knights who fought on the wrong side of a battle called the Blackfyre Rebellion. Sadly, fans may have to wait for another two years to see how Cersei's journey plays out, as it's believed um, Game of Thrones Season 8 won't be released until 2019. HBO is said to be planning an extended production window for the final season, with filming slated to begin in October and possibly run as late as August 2018. Broadcaster has not commented on the rumors, but President Casey Bloys says our production people are trying to figure out a timeline for the shoot and how much time the special effects take. The shooting is complicated enough on different continents with all the technical aspects and the special effects are a whole other production period that we're trying to figure out. That is a big factor in all of this. So damn, yeah, a lot going on there. Our next article is from Vanity Fair. Game of Thrones fans just got the best news yet about season eight. As Game of Thrones enters production for its eighth and final season, little nuggets of spoiler-free information have come tumbling out. Fans have a long, long wait before they'll see the final product, so you can forgive their excitement over little things 
like the color of Amelia Clark's hair. <laughs> that particular news came via Clark's Instagram, and today that social media platform has yielded up an even juicier season eight clue. It sure looks like Ms. Miguel Sapochnik, the most popular battle director in the show's history, is making his triumphant return to the series. After winning rave reviews for season seven's Hard Home and an Emmy for season six's Battle of the Bastards, Sapochnik took season seven off. I didn't realize that. Um, anyone who has watched the behind-the-scenes videos of Bastards can hardly blame him for wanting a break. <laughs> yeah, quite a chaotic shoot that was. <laughs> that means the two big battle episodes of Season 7, Spoils of War, Drogon versus Jamie, and Beyond the Wall, John and Company versus the Night King, were directed by newcomer Matt Shackman and veteran Alan Taylor, respectively. While Shackman's drag- dragonfire-filled episode was widely praised, Taylor had to bear the brunt of complaints over gaps in logic. Some of those gaps admittedly came at the script level, but others were a result of battle sh- of the battle shoot that was sloppier than the precise Sapochnik-style thrones um, fans have become accustomed to. Even Neil deGrasse Tyson took a shot or two at Beyond the Wall just this week. <laughs> yeah, he was saying, talking about how the um, when they're pulling the, the dragon out with the chains, you can see the chains sloping over the, chill- the hillside as the, the, the zombies are all pulling him out. But the chains should have been straight as an arrow, pulling the giant weight, the weight of the giant dragon instead of sloping over the hillside like there wasn't enough tension to keep the chains straight. So I had basic physics right there that Neil deGrasse Tyson's pointing out that nobody noticed, including myself, but which is now glaringly obvious, having been uh, pointed out. So this, that's why uh, this new photo from cinematographer Fabian Wagner will come as such a delight to Game of Thrones fans who pay attention to every name in the credits. As fan site watchers on the wall have noted, Wagner has posted an old photo of himself with assistant Carolyn Alderson, um, VFX supervisor Joe Bauer, VFX producer Steve Kulbach, and Sapochnik himself. Wagner captioned the photo, back on the Game of Thrones for the prep of the final season, and the team is back together. The photo may be old, but the caption promises something entirely new. Barring an official statement from HBO, this feels like a very solid confirmation of Sapochnik's much-hoped-for return. It's unclear how many of the final six episodes he will shoot, though the standard is usually two, and Sapochnik is good for much more than just battles. His other season six episode, The Winds of Winter, is the best-regarded finale of the show's run. There are unconfirmed rumors buzzing about the Thrones community that showrunners D.B. Weiss and David Benioff themselves want to direct the finale though the pair have only directed two early episodes together. They obviously have plenty of experience on set. And some fans are holding out hope to see a woman behind the camera in the final season. Only one of the 19 directors to ever work on Game of Thrones has even, you know, has been a woman. <laughs> uh, can I add something onto that? Please. Um, in regards to Miguel being back, um, he's just... Oh, right. You, you know him. You've met him, right? I have not actually met him, but he, I, I sent him a picture of my Battle of the Bastards cosplay and the shield I made. And when I was making it up, I, you know, sent it to him and I was like, hey, check this out. And then he, I wasn't expecting a reply or anything, but he, uh, he commented on it and said, uh, he's like, wow, that looks, I can't remember the exact, you know, thing that he said but it was something along the lines of wow that looks awesome now just take it outside and stomp on it some more (laughs) (laughs) um he then further messaged me asking me where i lived um because i was interested in being an extra on the show and he um he went through you know a couple emails and talking to different people for me 
which I really appreciated. Um, yeah, I'm sure. And uh, I've, I've talked to Caroline, his assistant, um, via email. Got through this whole entire loop of people. <laughs> uh, and I eventually got looped back to the extras department, who I originally contacted before I even talked to Miguel. And they basically said the same thing before. They're like, oh, if you don't live in Ireland, you can't be you can't be an extra on the show. Oh, it sucks. Unless you're a famous band member. (laughs) I know, right? I was like either Mastodon or um, what was his name in this earlier season? Uh, Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. I was like, oh, man, like, come on. Like the band Mastodon is like from America. For those who don't know, they were um, a few wildlings in um hard home and then in this oh they're last, from america yeah yeah they're from oh i'm gonna totally butcher this but they're from like boston or something <laughs> um they yeah they're from over here they released a song called white walker um so check that out they it's it's about game of thrones <laughs> um it's on vinyl too yeah yeah um and then they also if you pay close close attention to after the white walkers break through the wall there's some of the whites oh, yeah, that they're, are walking they're through there, yeah, yeah they're they're undead that. and they're just like walking through so they got another cameo badass so I'm like man you get you guys are getting all these cameos like <laughs> all right so our next article is from time game of thrones jamie lannister has a major hang-up about that cersei death theory Although Dickon Tarly seems convinced that Jamie Lannister will end up killing Cersei in Game of Thrones' final season, Nikolai Costerwaldo, who plays the Kingslayer, isn't so sure. In an interview with InStyle, the 47-year-old actor explained that while he thinks the twist would bring the Lannisters' story full circle, Cersei's newly revealed pregnancy has made him take issue with it. It makes sense. He killed the Mad King, and now he's killing the Mad Queen, he said, before voicing his reservations. It'd be like the Red Wedding 2. That would be really horrible. I hope he wouldn't um, (laughs) kill her because she's pregnant, like um, Talia, that was her name, was killed um, at the Red Wedding. Oh, Talisa. Talisa, thank you. Thanks to the future foretold by Cersei, foretold for Cersei by Maggie the Frog during a flashback in George R.R. Martin's books, some Thrones fans have long speculated that Jaime will be um, the one to take out his twin sister. And when your tears have drowned you, the Valencar, High Valyrian for little brother, shall wrap his hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you, the witch told a young Cersei. However, an earlier line in the prophecy seems to indicate that if Cersei really is pregnant, she will either miscarry or be killed before she gives birth. You will have three, Maggie said, of Cersei's children. Gold will be their crowns. Gold will be their shrouds. On the other hand, some fans speculate that, taken together, these predictions mean Cersei will die in childbirth. Since Jaime fathered the child, then he could then still technically be considered the cause of her death. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Our next article is by Mashable. Littlefinger from Game of Thrones joins Queen movie Bohemian Rhapsody. He, he uh, may have been booted from Westeros, but Littlefinger, a.k.a. Aiden Gillen, will be back on screen shortly, this time in the upcoming Queen biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody. Gillen will play John Reed, per The Hollywood Reporter, the band's manager of three years before Jimmy Beach, to be played by Tom Hollander. Bohemian Rhapsody will cover Queen's history from 1970 to 1985, primarily through performances that will test star Rami Malek's chops. He'll be Freddie Mercury. <laughs> 
Reed was the band's manager from 75 to 78, followed by Beach. When we, we last saw Gillen answering for Peter Baelish's insidious crimes in the Game of Thrones season 7 finale, whereupon he was executed before the assembled lords in Winterfell by Arya Stark. Little is known about Reed's departure from Queen, but he also spent 25 years managing Elton John, which is probably a bit time-consuming. Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody is due in theaters December 28th, 20, uh, 25th, 2018. And uh, I think Freddie Mercury was originally supposed to be played by uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who played Borat. Did you know that? Oh, that would have been cool. I mean, yeah, it, they, it might still be true, but... Um, they they look a lot alike, so it would have been, yeah, it was cool casting, but he ended up leaving the project because they wouldn't let him go as hardcore as he wanted to go oh. with it. He, uh, you know, he does everything hard, super hardcore, um, as you can tell from <laughs> Borat and you know his other movies. He basically wanted to have cocaine parties with midgets running around with plates of cocaine on their heads and stuff what? and yeah the, the way freddie mercury rolled in real life apparently yeah. and uh the studio wasn't down with it so he left the project um so yeah there's that our next article is from bustle the game of thrones spinoff isn't a sequel but that's actually good news waiting for the season the final season of game of thrones will prove to be a long hard road but luckily there is news of the HBO spinoff series to distract you. Well, George R.R. Martin confirmed on his blog on September 20th that there are currently five Game of Thrones spinoff scripts in the works. HBO's programming president, Casey Bloys, previously told Entertainment Weekly that the plan is to have one spinoff become a show. Yet, no matter which script HBO chooses to move forward with developing, Martin said that each of the Game of Thrones spinoffs are prequels, so you may want to spend your time waiting for season eight and the inevitable spinoff by brushing up on your Westerosi history. The development of the Game of Thrones spinoff show has been pretty confusing, so if you've been keep um, if you've been having trouble keeping up, that's totally fair. But for the latest news, or but the latest news is that Game of Thrones show writer Brian Cogman and and the A Song of Ice and Fire book series writer himself, George R. R. Martin, are officially working on a fifth script together, as Entertainment Weekly reported. On his blog, um, Martin reiterated the EW news. And though the spinoffs are shrouded in secrecy, Martin did have some tidbits about the fifth script to share when he wrote. He said, I can say that, like the other pilots, it will be a prequel rather than a sequel, a successor rather than a spinoff. Brian's series will be an adapt adaptation, uh, meaning that it comes from an existing work, and one that will thrill most fans of the books, I think, set during a very exciting period of Westerosi history. So that leaves a lot of options, really. <laughs> Who knows? Um, EW also confirmed that all of the potential spinoffs are prequels in its fifth script announcement. All the, prequel, all the prequel projects are set before the events of A Game of Thrones and do not involve any members of the current cast. The term spinoff is frequently used to describe these projects, though it's not technically correct. EW's James Hibbert wrote, even if you've exhaustively watched the TV series without reading the books, you're still fully aware of the intricate story that Martin created for his series. That means there are a plethora of exciting stories for these five scripts to be drawing from, and the glimpses of the past on Game of Thrones through Bran's Thread Raven ability have proven to be a thrilling aspect to the original HBO series. Sure, Bran's discoveries are occasionally disturbing, you know, like when he saw Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark getting married as Daenerys Targaryen and Jon Snow, uh, Aegon Targaryen, had sex in the present. <laughs> but it just uh, goes to show how the actions of the ancestors of the current Game of Thrones characters are essential to the story. However, realizing that the spin-off series, or successor series as Martin refers to them, will be set in the past 
is a bit disappointing for fans of the Mother of Dragons and the recently revealed Aegon Targaryen. Before season seven premiered, Daenerys actor Amelia Clark told Rolling Stone, I mean, I have no doubt that there'll be prequels and sequels and who knows what else, but I am doing one more season and then that'll be it. Jon Snow actor Kit Harington had the same type of response about his potential involvement in a spinoff when he told Entertainment Weekly that it makes no sense to start the new show with new or it make that it makes sense to start the new show with new characters. There's so much scope for this story that's been going for thousands of years. I'm happy to step away from Jon Snow, though I'm still interested in TV, Harrington said. Okay, that's it for the news. Um, we might want to add that it's you know officially been announced, right, that Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie are married or yep. not married, but they're engaged, right? They got engaged this week. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, some more news as well. All right. Next we have Raven's calls. <laughs> All right. We are here for Raven's calls. You go first, Crow. Okay. So the first call is from, I want to say ad stout. <laughs> AD. That's uh, lady AD. Alicia. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I just started the rewatch so I can listen to the podcast. The only problem is, is I can't stop watching. LOL. <laughs> I'm on episode six now. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so I'm she just so... left it there. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen when I thought of doing a rewatch podcast. I was like, oh, shit, people are going to start watching and not not be able to stop watching. And they're going to have to go back and listen to our episodes. I wonder if she's still going. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully they'll get started on the rewatch and then they'll just go back and watch one episode a week um, with us, even though they're already finishing the series again. <laughs> Laney Mycel says, Ned is a no bullshit kind of guy. <laughs> Lord Varys's creepy voice starts, quote, respectfully. <laughs> Sansa is an ungrateful little brat. Viserys, aside from being Danny's brother, I don't understand why she puts up with his BS. Pissing off the edge of the world. Ha ha ha. Greatness. Yeah, that was cool to see Tyrion peeing off the, uh, the edge of the world. <laughs> uh, Lara Sotelo says, Ned watching Arya train with Sirio. Hashtag proud dad moment. Make, making all the dads proud. <laughs> yeah, before being interrupted by PTSD. Uh, Sarah Larkham says old Nan telling Bran about the long night and the white walkers and Rob brushing off that story was a bit funny that story old Nan was telling might be a foreshadowing for the upcoming season I certainly hope so it was sad watching Ned and Catelyn saying goodbye to each other for the last time oh that was something I forgot I, to mention I noticed that also like, I yeah, was they're like, saying oh. goodbye for the last time and then there's a slow ominous pan that goes right up to Ned's face and that pan is showing that something bad is going like to happen. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's filmmaking telling you that this is not going to end well. They're not going to see each other again. See each other again. So that was cool. That that slow pan on Ned's worried look there is pretty intense. <laughs> uh, Kristen Hall says, "Hey, Kristen. Uh, hey, Kristen. Cersei's words to Joffrey are especially telling in the big picture. Someday you'll sit on the Iron Throne, and the truth will be whatever you make it." She definitely takes that as her character's uh, mantra. Definitely. Also on the chairs during the small council meeting was the Vale's emblem on the hands chair next to Robert's stag, stag emblem. Question mark. <laughs> um, it's strange, isn't it, to see a dire wolf? Or it's strange it, it isn't a... I messed that up. I'm sorry, Kristen. <laughs> it's strange it isn't a dire wolf, even though enough time has passed to make it one, right? 
or does the show just or does it show just how new and fragile this new world order with Ned is coming in is with its own sense of foreshadowing about the fate of the hand question yeah mark. it's interesting <laughs> I had never noticed that it was the uh, the the Aaron sigil on the chair um, I didn't notice that which is pretty cool good uh, good call on that yeah they um Ned and John or Ned and Robert both loved John Aaron. So maybe they're just keeping it around as an homage to, to John Aaron for now. Um, we'll have to pay attention as the episodes move along and see if they end up replacing that chair. That's a really good catch. So yeah, yeah good, watch really for cool. that the whole series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job, Kristen. I'm sure after, you know, once Joffrey takes power and um, Cersei wants to, you know, name a new hand and everything, I'm sure they change it at least at that point. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if Ned wants to sit on John Aaron's chair. Yeah. Wendy Ott Eppers says, when Ned gets to the small council meeting, they say, shall we begin? Which, if I didn't even notice that, it's awesome. Um, oh, that totally wow. references the end of season seven, episode one, where Daenerys and Tyrion walk into the map room at Dragonstone, and the last line of the episode is, shall we begin? So that's great. This show is like making all kinds of crazy callbacks and references to previous seasons, <laughs> which is just amazing. Um, the, the the depth to which they do that is just staggering. So cool. That was one of the things that really upset me when I first watched that episode, and then it just ended. I was like, "Oh, and you're like, are you no. kidding me? <laughs> Begin. So this just ended." <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, my Almardini says, I hope I said that correctly. <laughs> my or May. May. Either. We'll have to find out. Tell us, tell us how to pronounce your name. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please tell me if I butchered your I name. I think I've said May before. May. Okay. Um, some observations for the rewatch that I don't think I noticed before. Ned didn't relate to Sansa as much as he did to Arya. Which, yeah, yeah true. We, we mentioned that earlier. Yeah. I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie is misunderstood. He is trying to get Ned's approval, but with no luck. Yep, sadly. Um, yeah. yeah. He's trying. You know, gotta give him credit for trying. <laughs> Littlefinger didn't have his creepy voice yet, but was a shit disturber from the first second he was on screen. Uh, watching season one makes me feel like the creators were a bit unfair. So many things seem benign, but there's benign. so much for... Or benign, sorry. But there's so much foreshadowing going on. Um... I also didn't notice how many times Ned's dead father was mentioned in season one the first time I watched it. Wow, yeah, we got the episode in the pilot saying, uh, you know, your father and brother rode south at a king's demand and never came back. We've got it this episode. Um, yeah, it's true. And it's also mentioned in season seven, um, the whole thing with John and Danny and when he's first wanting to go there, they're like, you know, yeah, Sansa brings it up. The mad King killed our grandfather. <laughs> and then John mentions it in the throne room and in the presence of Daenerys. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, obviously a very important event in history that reverberations are still being felt all throughout the kingdoms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I just noticed a parallel between uncle Ben and John's goodbye and Ned and John's Ben tells, tells him that they'll talk again when he's back Oh. But if I'm not mistaken, they never speak again. Not that until, is, uh, not until uh, the battle s- north of the wall. <laughs> yep. I think Uncle Benjamin knew the truth about John, and he tried to protect him and keep him humble at the wall. He also knew the dangers ahead, but is in denial about the White Walkers. It took them seven years to convince people about the dead, 
almost as long as it took winter to come. (laughs) (laughs) Danny is showing discomfort with the idea of slavery. I think it's because she feels like a slave herself. She eventually frees herself and feels responsibility to to do the same for others. I loved seeing Maester Eamon. I I really liked Maester Eamon as well. Yeah, me too. And great call. uh, Great call with um, Danny and feeling like a slave herself because that, you know, she empathizes with the slaves because she has been sold essentially as a slave to call yeah. So that really informs her psychology. I feel. Yeah. That's like the first impression we kind of get of, get of Daenerys is, you know, she's being sold off as a slave. Yeah. So we have an email and this is the email I mentioned from lady Ellen of house Clark earlier. Hello all. I've been rewatching old seasons of Game of Thrones. And just to let you guys know, this is from a couple weeks ago. I just thought it was relevant for this episode, so I wanted to include it. And I noticed something cool, so I thought I'd share it with you guys. In season one, episode three, Lord Snow, around the 30-minute mark, King Robert and Sir Barristan are chilling at Robert's chambers. <laughs> and he seemingly <laughs> randomly starts talking about his first kill. I never thought much about this scene, to be honest, other than thinking it was poignant, if not utterly random. If you go back and watch it now, however, however, you notice, you'll notice a lot of intriguing coincidences with some things that have happened recently. He mentions that the first man he ever killed was some Tarly boy, and then goes on to talk about how they never tell you about how they shit themselves when they die. I found that interesting, seeing as poor Dickon made that same observation hours before his death. More ir- ironically, Robert states that after he killed this unnamed Tarly boy, that the Tarleys, quote, always bent the knee after that. Another intriguing observation, considering this is what led to Randall and Dickon's death that same day. Not bending the knee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yes, super crazy. So the Tarly boy also died because he was trying to bravely end the war by taking Robert out as he was off his mount tending to it. His horse had been shot with an arrow. Sounds similar to what Jamie did with Danny? Absolutely. So much like Jamie tried to kill Danny as she was tending to her dragon... This Tarly boy tried to kill Robert as he was tending to his horse. Anyway, I love the podcast. Keep it up. Thank you very much, Lady Ellen, for mm. reading, uh, for writing in. I'm happy I got to include your email this week in a relevant context. And we yeah. also have a email, or sorry, a voicemail from Kira Brown. Hi, guys. This is Kira. Um, I really hope I'm catching you before you guys finish your podcast. Um, really want to say thank you for um, revisiting the beginning of the series, having a really good time rewatching this. Um, so, first things first, Jamie really likes to pluck nerves, and it seems like he knows a lot, or at least suspects, uh, like you guys said in the previous podcast, uh, about John slash Ned slash Rhaegar slash Lyanna's secret. Like, why would you seek out John? and Ned to test their limits. Like, is he looking for cracks in their loyalty to the crown? And also, the look that Robert gave him when he tells him about the Mad King's final words, he, I think Robert finally figures out what Jamie did. Um, and it looks like a light bulb literally came on in his head. Um, another thing, old Nan is old as hell, and she knows a lot more about the North and probably all of Westeros um, than anybody in all of the planet, I feel like. She is way old. Um, she was hitting a lot more facts with her stories than most people in GOT Reddit threads. When she said, don't listen to crows and that they're all liars, it made me think of that section in 
a world of ice and fire where they say that men used to be able to actually talk to crows and the crows would talk back. So maybe she actually understood what that crow was saying sitting on that windowsill to Bran. Um, and is it just me or does it look like Benjen was way more interested in those flames than the other guy on the wall? I, I think that would be super cool if he was secretly a follower of R'hllor. Maybe that's why he came back from the dead. Maybe twice? Um, and I will never not root for Arya. I love this girl, not yet a woman. Um, I still think that Sirio Pharrell was one of the faceless men um, brought into Arya's life to train her basically from start to finish, even though in my opinion she's not quite finished with her training. Um, that would be super crazy. Um, and the look that Ned gives her at the end is so sad. It's like he knows exactly what's going to be coming for her at the start of these lessons. Um, that's it. Thank you, guys. I look forward to the next talk. Bye. Thanks so much for your voicemail, Kira. Very insightful. Um, yeah, I think I think we're all definitely onto something here with Jamie knowing about John or at least suspecting and it is interesting how he uh, is testing Ned in various ways. Probably just uh, he probably does this to every new alpha male in the, who comes into town. <laughs> but um, it is interesting how he's drawn to these Starks in certain different ways. I didn't notice Robert's reaction to uh, Jamie when he told him of the Mad King's words. I'm going to have to go back and scope that out again because that's pretty cool. It would be interesting if Robert sort of figured out what had really happened there in that moment. And uh, I think you're definitely right about Old Nan knowing what's up. She seems to have a pretty good grasp on what what reality is. And there's some cool theories about who Old Nan is, um, why her grandson Hodor is so tall. And I'll give you a hint, it relates to Sir Duncan, who stopped at Winterfell at one point. We may have encountered Old Nan herself under a different name in the Sworn, Sworn Sword, one of the Duncan Egg novellas. Um, I'll post a video to the Game of Microphones um, Facebook page about that. If you guys are interested, go and check it out. Um, I had never considered that Old Nan may have been actually listening to what the Ravens or the Crow has was saying on the um, on the the windowsill there. But they do say that the Ravens and the Crows used to talk to people, um, so that would not be entirely out of the um, realm of possibility. I hadn't noticed that Benjen seems to be interested in the fires either, but he, I think he may have just been zoning out, nervous about his um, trip to investigate into the disturbing rumors. And I agree, Arya is definitely not done with her training yet, but I, I love this character as well. And <laughs> it's uh, great going back and seeing this um, this period of her of her life and her training and everything. And yeah, it is creepy, the foreshadowing of Ned's PTSD there foreshadowing trauma in Arya's future as well. Thank you again very much for your voicemail, Lady Kira of House Brown, and I hope we hear back from you sometime soon. All right, that's our show, um, episode 45. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you. Another big thanks to our guest, Travis, for joining us this week. Thanks for having me back, Duncan. Yeah, man, always good to have you. Next week, we're going to be covering episode four, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things in our Game of Microphones rewatch. So if you want to write in and give us your uh, feedback, that would be appreciated. You can call us at 
813-813-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. And you can also write in. Yes, send your emails to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Next on Game of Microphones, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 4, like I said, next week. Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.